From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Continue to be surprised that the bond flows have been stronger. So that's another reason to think that maybe there's more to go here. More money could go into stocks as we get more evidence of a uh, durable recovery. And that's what makes this very different from 1999, 2000, right? The, the measures of sentiment are very, very different now uh, than they were back then, uh, certainly. So there's a stronger foundation under the market today. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. I'll be your host today, Ryan Dietrich, and up on the line in Boston, warm and steamy Boston over the weekend, is Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, how did your Father's Day weekend treat you? Oh, it was really nice, Ryan. I don't mind the heat. We did make a run at 90 degrees on Saturday, uh, but uh, by the time we threw the burgers on the grill, it was actually pretty comfortable. So uh, really nice, nice weekend. How about yourself? Yeah, it was it was good. I mean, you know, didn't do a ton of things, but on Sunday, my son Gus, who's seven years old, he had a soccer game. So we're doing spring soccer in the summer because obviously it was canceled in the spring, and spring sports have started up in the summer, and they're just condensing it, playing a bunch of games just to get it in. And he had a game on Father's Day yesterday at like four o'clock, so it was really really hot down here in South Carolina. But I told him all I wanted for Father's Day was a goal and a victory. And sure enough, he scored a goal. His team won three to one. And uh, that was pretty cool. They had a game on Saturday and he had two goals, but they lost that game. So he had three goals and um, three goals in two games and they went one and one. So it was it was fun. You know, it was a, a nice weekend. So thank you to all the continued listeners and thanks to all the fathers out there. Hopefully everyone had a really nice, relaxing I actually got a little bit of a nap, too. I, th- I kind of laid down. I guess Father's Day, maybe you're allowed to. You know, I took a little nap for about 45 minutes. That was that was nice. Did you get a nap, Jeff, by chance? I did not get uh, a nap okay. in, Ryan, but that like that sounds like a great idea maybe for later today. I was about to say, <laughs> well, don't, don't tell our boss, but maybe let's take one later today. It's one of the perks of working from home. If you got a little schedule free, you can maybe close your eyes. So get one we'll all, today. We'll all clock out first. Exactly. Well, I know we were working on our mid-year outlook over the weekend. I know you were. So we'll talk more about the mid-year outlook. So, hey, you've earned, you've earned a little snooze this afternoon if you can pull it off. So let's get right to it. Um, this week, we've got a lot to discuss. We're going to touch on our weekly market commentary, which is going to be released on Monday. But it takes a look at international and how we view international versus the United States. Also, we're going to take a look at their recovery. We know the economy is recovering. We're coming off historically low levels. Yet some of the recent economic data is coming in much better, some, in some cases historically better than what uh, the economists were expecting. So maybe the economy is coming back online a little bit faster than we thought. And then also we're going to kind of end it with a little COVID-19 talk along with some just kind of unique charts and unique things we're seeing out there. Uh, Specifically, $5 trillion in money markets are sitting, or nearly $5 trillion, kind of what that means and the impacts of that. So Jeff, first things first, you wrote the weekly market commentary. I'm going to turn it over to you for a little bit. International. I think I've said I've been at LPL, well, have been at LPL for four and a half years. One of the number one questions I've received is when is LPL research going to move a little more optimistic or maybe let's call it bullish on developed international, specifically Europe? We haven't really liked that group for a while. Uh, Tell us what are our views really, I guess we'll call it for the remainder of this year um, as LPL research sees it on developed international versus the U.S. Well, you're, you're not getting your change just yet, Ryan. We still think U.S. outperforms developed international in the second half that's mainly europe if developed international was just japan we'd be a little more optimistic 
but just because we prefer U.S., that doesn't mean we think international uh, equities are going to go down. Uh, it's really a, more of a relative call here. Um, I'll highlight a few of the reasons um, that we we have that view still. Is number one, just looking at the economic growth outlook here. Um, the you know we're, we're in a global recession. Maybe we came out of it in June, but essentially all major economies in the developed world contracting. Well, Europe's expected to contract even more uh, than the U.S. Consensus looking for something around down 8% rather than down 6 in right. the U.S. And Europe's been revised uh, downward by more. Um, so that's, you know, high level uh, one point. Number two is international markets are more value-oriented. So if we continue to see this U.S. growth-led market, it's going to be really hard uh, for Europe to keep up uh, with um, that market being more value-oriented. You know, just one number on that, you know, tech sector is about 27% of the S&P 500. Uh, for the MSCI EFA, the uh, benchmark we use for international developed equities, 8%. So just a huge difference. So if, if tech does well, uh, it's really hard for uh, developed international um, to do well. And then the last point I'll make, Ryan, this is your area of expertise, you know, technical analysis. International just can't get any momentum going. You know, it'll do well for a week or two and just can't sustain that. So until we see some signs that international can sustain some better performance, uh, we're going to continue to uh, to lean U.S. Uh, good points there. Now, talk to me a little bit about valuations. We've heard valuations here in the U.S. are historically high. Um, you know, if you look at forward PE multiples, I believe we're getting or flirting with 22, which is close to one of the highest levels we've seen in a couple of decades. What are valuations like in Europe, though? Yeah, they're they're cheaper than the U.S. Mm -hmm. quite yeah. a bit, but that's pretty much been the case for the last decade. While right. these markets have continued to underperform, we we caution folks around using valuations as short-term timing tools. Historically, they haven't been great at telling you what's going to do best over the next year. Uh, now, it's a different story long-term. So if you ask me, you know, can Europe beat the U.S. over the next five years or 10 years, I'd actually put pretty good odds on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but for the second half or for the next 12 months, uh, we would not put too much emphasis on valuations. Europe is trading at about a 20% discount to the U.S., uh, but again, the, the makeup of that market uh, suggests it should be cheaper. And it pretty much is always cheaper. Yeah, uh, good points there. So talking a little bit more about developed international. So that's the Europe side of things. You know, talk to me about Japan. I know internally we've had some discussions. Japan, if you had to pick kind of a part of developed international that we like, we think Japan could do a little bit better. Could maybe, I believe the way we phrase it, would be an upside surprise the second half of this year. Why, did, why are we a little bit more warm and fuzzy on Japan relative to Europe here and now? Yeah, it's really a simple uh, story, Ryan. I like simple. That's good. Yeah, yeah so, you know, first, uh, they've done a better job of containing the virus, generally, than the U.S. or Europe. Uh, second, they um, have done more stimulus than the U.S. and Europe. You know, we, we talk about stimulus in terms of dollars versus GDP, you know, to adjust for the different sizes of the economy. Um, if you... If you add up all the fiscal stimulus in, in Japan, it's something like 40% of GDP, as long as these last 
couple proposals go through. That's that's like triple what the U.S. is doing. Um, now we might get another stimulus package in the U.S. next month, mm-hmm. but still, just a massive amount of stimulus. And then the U.S. has done more than Europe. Uh, so um, those factors. I mean, that's pretty much the whole story there. Uh, suggests to us that um, Japan's in a better position uh, to, um, you know, not only hold up in terms of economic growth, uh, you know, in the near term, but also potentially uh, produce better stock market performance in the second half. Oh, interesting. I mean, you think about Japan, the Nikkei, I mean, it peaked, you know, what, 1990, I think, up around 38, 39,000. It's all ballpark, half that approximately. So it's, it's gone nowhere for a long time. So looking at just purely, like you said, kind of technical analysis for years, for decades almost, Japan has been basing and it's kind of forming this big old saucer bottom. There's an old saying, um, the longer the base, the higher in space. So it's based for a very, very long time. Now, trust me, you could also say Europe is quite similar. Europe hasn't gone anywhere for a very long time on a relative basis, also from some of the peaks they had a couple decades ago. But bigger picture, Japan does is intriguing. Now, Jeff, for the average investor listening to this podcast, how would you kind of suggest they benefit from a Japan rally the second half of this year? Well, you probably have to either uh, use exchange traded funds or uh, individual equities because yep. most of the international mutual funds are uh, Europe heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, d- don't ask me if if you should hedge the currency with with those investments, that's a really tough right. question to answer. Right, trying to call the yen uh, is, is tricky. There are hedged currency products as well as um, you know unhedged. So uh, that that's a that's a tough one. But we do think it makes some sense for really tactical investors who are just looking for um, you know opportunities outside the U.S. Given the U.S. market is certainly a little bit expensive here, um, Japan is is a place to look. Yeah, so great stuff. Let's maybe go to the next thing, um, which is going to be kind of the overall recovery. But before we do, I'll give a little story. So, Jeff, I bought a Volvo about 10 months ago, and that's a European car, and I've had nothing but trouble with it. It's been in the shop for about three weeks now. Long story short, as far as I understand it, there was a crack of some sort with the sunroof, so tons of water got in the car. It has just fried the entire car. I mean, we are talking thousands and thousands of dollars to replace the computer board and all the things destroyed. So I've got insurance involved and we'll see. Um, you know. But anyway, you think about the European car there, I am in the very early stages of jumping ship and leaving Europe <laughs> and buying maybe a, a Japanese car. Those infinities are actually a Japanese, Japanese car I'm looking at. So I'm a small example of maybe going from develop, one developed part of the world to the other. Um, but I am not too happy right now with my Volvo. Um, and it's rained a ton. If you remember these podcasts, we've talked a lot about all these big storms we've had. Well, apparently, somehow, the water got through my sunroof into the car. And uh, it's tough because I'm borrowing my wife's car and we're juggling cars. And luckily, she's staying home with the kids. But anyway, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. But I'll, I'll continue to update. I know people always enjoy. It uh, seems like when I have issues with things and I'm having issues with the car. So I'll give updates on my car periodically here. <laughs> so, Jeff, let's go to the next uh, subject. The recovery coming back stronger than expected. I mean, there's many different data points we can point out. Uh, some of the home building data we saw much better than expected. The retail sales number last week was the headline. Maybe you can dive into that a little bit more. Much better than expected. The leading economic indicators. 
much better than expected. We talked last week about some of the green shoots, things like people through TSA lines and people opening or uh, using, um, um, what's it called? Uh, open table, open table for reservations. There are, there are some data points that are really suggesting things are bouncing back more than we expected. Now, full disclaimer, we're coming off historically low levels, uh, but still some positives there. What's your take on kind of some of the recent economic data that we've seen and have you changed your view? Are we going to have a V recovery versus the swoosh recovery we discussed a couple weeks ago? Oh, I haven't changed my view. We're going to have the first part of a V though. I think that's fair to say. And then, um, yep. you know, mm -hmm. the next leg of this recovery is going to get a little bit tougher. We'll, we'll call it low hanging fruit. Uh, you know, we've done this without a lot of help from the Northeast, Right, I mean, New York's just starting phase two. They they are just now opening outdoor dining, which you know, which comes as a lot of states right. have indoor dining. So, in fact, Massachusetts has indoor dining starting this week. So, um, you know, there's going to be you know another period of several weeks or a couple months where we see these really sharp moves higher in a lot of this real time high frequency data. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the, the road's going to get a little bit tougher. We don't want to be uh, too negative here. Let's continue to celebrate the reopening. There's clearly a lot of momentum for it, right? And virtually no one expects full lockdowns to return, you know, even as these, you know, waves and states continue. In fact, we've seen, I think, 28 states have seen uh, an increase in uh, the seven-week average of new cases. So it's not just the small handful of states we've been talking about, like Texas and Arizona, the Carolinas to some extent, California. There's there's uh, you know, a little bit of a disturbing trend here, but uh, behavior will probably change. Maybe in some respects it'll be a forced change, but um, you know this is still probably the first wave, not necessarily the start uh, of a second wave. And uh, we continue to be optimistic that we'll beat this thing over the next um, you know call it six to 12 months. Yeah, that was kind of my follow up question was every time I read, not every time, but most of the times when I read, you know, market commentaries and what the media are telling us, they're calling this almost a second wave right now. And I, I don't think that's, that's not the camp we'd be in. We think this is probably still more just the first wave. Um, you know, second wave will indeed be probably you know, several months from now when you get back into regular, I guess we call it flu season. Uh, Jeff, so you, know, you talk about the V versus the W or the swoosh sign recovery. Bank of America Merrill Lynch had their recent monthly survey of global fund managers. And I'm going to say only here, only 18% see a V recovery, whereas 64% see a U or W <coughs> recovery. <coughs> Excuse me, I get so choked up talking about this stuff. Um, stocks actually, according to this survey, though, are the most overvalued they've ever been. Yet hedge fund managers are the most net long they've been in over two years. I mean, it, you talk about just a little bit of confusion here. Um, the reality, though, I think is most people still do not see a V recovery here. And, uh, you know, we definitely are continue to be in that camp. <clears throat> now, Jeff, let's talk about the retail sales number. I mean, just a huge beat. I believe it was over 17% month over month. Now, that comes on the heels of some very, very historically large drops as well. But, you know, they tell us the consumer makes up about two-thirds of the economy. Clearly, the consumer has been stuck inside for, for a long time, and you can't spend. So that's that's kind of what happened. But people are coming out, spending a little bit more. I, I mentioned I'm looking at getting a new car, even though my car is literally 10 months old because I'm just 
totally sick of it. Uh, but I've seen some other data points that people are looking to get new cars, you know, they're doing applications for cars and things are spiking more than we thought. Um, you know, what, what are your takes on some of those things about the retail sales number? Yeah, I mean, it gave a run to the um, payroll number for the biggest upside surprise in an economic data point ever. I right. mean, that was just remarkable. How, how big the upside surprise was, um, you know, 18% up month over month. So, yeah, that was certainly great to see. And there's clearly some uh, pent up demand. Uh, I'm not, you know, gonna, um, you know, poo poo that in any respect. But uh, here again, we're coming off of such low levels. We're still down 6% year over year on retail sales, right? A 6% hit to such a big part of the economy is still a meaningful chunk. So we got a little ways to go. Uh, before we get back to where we were. And there's a really good chance that even by year end, uh, we're still below the levels of economic activity uh, that we were at pre-pandemic. It's going to probably be you know, well in the next year before we get back to levels of consumer spending, maybe even beyond that. We'll see uh, before we get back to levels of, of uh, consumer spending that we saw pre-pandemic. But nonetheless, there's just no doubting the fact that this has been a really strong uh, bounce off the bottom and probably supports the fact that this recession is already over. It was just declared starting at, you know, at some point in late February and it may be over. Along those same lines, as you pointed out, the retail sales are still, you know, relatively ways away from making new all-time highs on a total cumulative basis. The LEI, the leading economic indicators had a big bounce last month. As I mentioned, that's still 10% or I'm sorry, down 10% year over year. So some steps in the right direction, but Jeff, we, we need to move forward. We've got, uh, looks like maybe five minutes approximately here to touch on kind of the last thing, which is kind of a, we just kind of said some things that got have our attention. Honestly, we left this one open for what happened over the weekend. Maybe let's start with COVID-19, then we'll finish up with the $5 trillion in money markets, what that could mean. So um, I'll let you kind of do the high level COVID things, but I will say just yesterday, According to data from the COVID tracking project, there were 297 deaths in the United States. So that's a very significant number. At the same time, that is the lowest number of deaths that we have seen on a single day uh, since March 25th. If you look at the seven-day moving average of number of deaths, number of people on incubators, number of people in the ICU, and number of people in the hospital, those seven-day moving averages continue to trend lower, making new lows in most cases. Whereas the number of cases absolutely have started to perk up, seven-day moving average is clearly moving higher. The logical explanation is, well, you know, the more cases, eventually those other things are going to turn higher. Jeff, my question to you, though, is are they? Do we have much better, better drugs, better ways to fight this using social distancing and more people testing now, honestly, are younger? And we know that this affects older people. So kind of, you know, we're not minimizing it by any means. But I think it's, it's and that's why the market, I think, is shaking off a lot of what we're seeing, even though there's more testing and there's more positives. Stock market is still saying, you know, the economy could be stronger the second half this year by, by going higher. What, what are your takes on COVID-19 here and now what we're seeing? Yeah, we got some more good uh, treatment news uh, last week. Exactly. Uh, out of Europe, right? The, the uh, tests in the UK for treatment. So it's not just vaccine, it's it's treatment. Right. Uh, that, you know, that's um, probably going to reduce deaths going forward. We have plenty of hospital capacity in most areas, it seems. That's certainly a big worry if you get these flare ups in cases, whether you'll have enough hospital beds uh, to take care of them. So we're getting better at treating. We have the capacity for the most part across the country. Uh, so I, I think those are certainly two 
two things you can point to for optimism. And then just, you know, each day I mentioned the vaccine, we do get closer to it. Uh, the, um, the pace of development has really been uh, remarkable and, and we're, we're starting, you know, this wave of phase three or phase one trials now, and then we're going to get into probably phase three by the end of the summer in some of these cases, right? So it's really looking, uh, looking up here. Uh, and, um, you know, we continue to be optimistic about the long-term economic recovery. We're talking 2021 and beyond. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading that the fastest any vaccines ever start from start to actually producing the vaccine and giving it to people was four years. Okay. Most of these vaccines take a decade to make, but like you said, Clearly, this is a different time. The entire globe is working together along with the FDA and whoever has to approve it, various places to obviously just smash that record, hopefully, of four years uh, to make it less than a year uh, in, in some cases if things kind of fall the right way. So, Jeff, we're going to finish things up here with talk about money markets. But before I go there, I just want to once again thank our continued listenership. We love doing these podcasts every single week. If you listen to this, please be sure to follow it or subscribe to it on um, iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you really like it, please feel free and give us a uh, five-star review. The more good reviews we get, the more people can listen to Jeff and myself talk about markets. So, Jeff, we've got maybe two minutes. Um, lots of different ways to look at market sentiment. One of them is kind of what are people doing with the real money? Well, we've seen a huge surge in the number of assets in money markets, um, up around $4.8 trillion recently. Now, let's be honest, some of that could be selling stocks, obviously, or getting out of stocks on the big pullback. Some of it also is the fact that the government has given people money. Uh, but still, that's a huge surge, nearly double what we saw this time five years ago. And it's one of the largest or the largest three-month spike we've ever seen. So what's your take kind of on all this? It's cliche to say cash on the sidelines, but my, oh my, $5 trillion in money markets. Um, that's a lot of cash on the sidelines, right? Oh, it, it sure is. It, it is a contrarian sentiment indicator. It suggests that more money can come into stocks. But, uh, you know, I also like to look at the flows, you know, people buying bonds and buying stocks and yep. continue to be surprised that the bond flows have been stronger. So um, that well, that's another reason to think that maybe there's more to go here. More money could go into stocks as we get more evidence of a uh, durable recovery. And that's what makes this very different from 1999, 2000, right? You mentioned some you know, stock valuations are mm -hmm. as high as they have been right. since then, right? Um, the, the measures of sentiment are very, very different now uh, than they were back then, uh, certainly. So there's a stronger foundation under the market today. Yeah, I'll just end it with this. So we obviously gave some bigger picture reasons. We're optimistic. Listen to last week's podcast. We do have some near-term concerns after the 40-plus percent rally. If you think about 2003, S&P made a major low in March, soared into June, and then it had a summer consolidation with actually a little bit of a pullback. Go to 2009. March made a major low, soared into June. Actually, I think it was late May, but June, May. Then a consolidation into the summer months and a little bit of a sell-off. Here we are once again. What Mark Twain tell us? History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Major market low in March, soared into June, and now maybe it makes sense we get some summertime consolidation, maybe a little more volatility. It wasn't that long ago. We could go right about now on Monday. We had about a 10% correction, peak to trough intraday. Didn't finish there. Big reversal on Monday, last Monday, a week ago. But we have had a little bit of a pullback. We wouldn't be shocked at all. And if you're bullish, the best thing, honestly, after 40% rally could be some consolidation uh, for a couple of months in the summer months. That's what we've seen historically. 
after these big major lows were made in March. So Jeff, any final comments from you in about 10 or 15 seconds, then I'll bring us home. I think people are going to be surprised from the Fed stress tests that we get uh, dividends from the banks uh, maintained or even increased. That's the big thing we're watching uh, this week. That comes on Thursday. Yeah, that comes Thursday after the close. So we'll definitely probably talk more about the stress test next week. So everyone, that's it for uh, us this week. Again, hopefully everyone had a great Father's Day weekend. Uh, We'll see where markets go, but things continue to act pretty strong here. So thanks again for your listenership, and we'll be back next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, Please note, LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.